Well, hello, hello, and welcome to um, what is now episode five of Polite Company, the show that talks about the things that we aren't supposed to talk about, which is religion and politics. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I am your host. And um, if you are listening to this, uh, please consider rating this. It helps to make this uh, podcast more visible if you rate it and um, give us a five star. Um, Also, feel free to share it with someone that you know that might be interested in talking about um, politics and religion and how those two intersect. Well, uh, the last two um, episodes have been focusing mostly on kind of religion, and I do have one coming up that will be also on religion. Um, And actually, before I go into today's um, talk, I do want to let people know that um, I am working on trying to get guests, so it's not always a monologue with just me. and hopefully we will have something. It's kind of interesting trying to do this when you're starting out. Um, and so it will take some time. But I think in time, there will be people that I will be able to talk to and I'm looking forward to talking to. Um, today, I kind of wanted to revisit uh, the future of the Republican Party and actually the future of conservatism. And then finally, the, the future of our republic. Um, I want to start actually with a poem. And the poem goes, starts off like this. Class with thy panting soul, the pendulous earth, as from a center dart thy spirit's light beyond all worlds, until its spacious might satiate the void circumference, then shrink even to a point within our day and I in light, and keep thy heart light, lest it make thee sink when hope has kindled hope and lured thee to the brink. That is from the poem Adonis by Percy Shelley, and you will understand why I shared that poem um, later on. So there is an old saying that Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. And how that old saying goes is that for Democrats, they have feelings for their party. They, This is the place that they belong. They want to be a part of it. Um, you're not actually going to leave that party. With Republicans, there are no feelings, per se. It's it's either that you fall in line, you follow what everyone else is doing, or you leave. And, so, and one of the things that I've noticed um, over the last 20, 30 years as in my adult life is that there, when it, you have a party that is falling in line, there is really no desire to stay with the party. There's no desire to reform the party if you feel out of step with it. Because, let's face it, you reform things that you love. If you love something, if you love someone, you want to make them better. 
or you want to make a certain body better. If you don't care about that body, you're not really going to want to change it at all. Now, some people think that that saying that I just shared of the two major parties in some ways have switched their positions. That the GOP has fallen in love with former President Donald Trump, and there is some truth to that. But given how any dissident that dare criticizes Trump is censured by local and state parties, there is also a sense that the GOP is falling in line. And in reality, people aren't in love with the GOP. They're in love with Donald Trump. The fact is, in some ways, no one loves the Republican Party. It is either seen as a means to an end or it is viewed as an anathema. Now, being a never-Trumper, and it's been interesting that never-Trumpers have been trying to figure out what is their future. Now that Trump has been, um, is out of the White House, what happens? There are different ways of going. There are those that believe in making changes within the GOP, taking the fight um, to combat Trumpism. There are others who think that maybe it's time to start a third party. And then there are others who think that maybe it is time to work with the Democrats. That third one is one that is most interesting to me because, unfortunately, I think that that is going to be the most common common choice. It's not the one that I think is the best choice. Not because I hate Democrats, but... I just don't think it is the best choice. Now, there are people, especially people associated with um, the magazine, The Bulwark, are kind of believing that it is time for disaffected Republicans to basically become the conservative wing of the Democrats and, and work more closely with President Biden. That is the viewpoint, especially for people like Bill Kristol or um, Tim Miller and definitely J.B. Last. I think that is a tempting move. After all, it's when you see a party that has gone and fallen so far so fast and is not really interested in, in democratic and um, trying to keep up liberal democracy, it's not, it's becoming much more um, open about its racism. It just makes sense in some ways why would you stick with it? Why would you even consider being in the party? And of course, as it has moved further and further to the right, it has pushed more and more people away. So doing doing more cooperation with the Democrats makes sense at a personal level. Because I know this from experience. You no longer have to explain yourself. You no longer have to worry about the strange stares that you get from people when you reveal what party that you belong to. You don't feel uncomfortable anymore when some politician says something stupid. The thing is, is that you hope that if you leave and other people who are like you leave, that it will basically just collapse under its own 
right-wing silliness that is sweet justice for the party. But while it makes sense on a personal level for never-Trumpers to maybe work more with the Democrats, does that make sense from a larger perspective? Because what if leaving the party and or the movement might make one feel well themselves, but is bad for democracy. Because what if democracy thrive only when there are strong conservative parties dedicated to the experiment of freedom? The writer Sean Illing uh, for Vox, he writes for Vox, has noted that democracies tend to balance stability and equality. So left-leaning parties tend to be the ones that support equality, while conservative parties are more in the favor of stability. And this is actually a theory that some people believe that what happens, though, is that that makes conservative parties in some ways the linchpin in a liberal democracy, because in a functioning, well-functioning democracy, it would be... Illing would say, Illing says that center-right parties are the ones that they respond to the center-left's desire for equality by promoting stability. And in fact, that you need both of these. But what happens if the center-right party stops supporting stability? What if it becomes more radical? Well, then that means that democracy is in peril. Um, the American political scientist, Daniel Ziblatt, and he has written um, several books. I believe one of them, which I is on my re to-do reading list, is How Democracies Die. And he believes, he truly does believe, that conservatives are key to whether or not democracies live or die. And that can only happen when conservatives are strong enough that they can, quote-unquote, quarantine far-right elements. And this is what he said in a 2017 interview. In countries where the center-right is willing to quarantine the far-right, undemocratic forces should be politically neutralized. But when the center-right gives in to temptation to try to use the far-right because it thinks that that's the only way it can win, then their Faustian bargain ends up like they all do not like they expected. Mainstream conservatives find out that they, and not the radicals, were the ones that were being manipulated. That they weren't appeasing the far right, but empowering it. And I should add that that was exactly what happened to uh, conservatives in Germany in the early 1930s. They thought that they could control and tame the Nazis. Um, they were becoming a rising force in German politics. They figured that they could control them. And of course, we know that that, that did not end well. It didn't end well for Germany. It didn't end well for democracy. It didn't end well for the world. One of the problems with the the 
the current Republican Party really isn't as much the politicians. It is actually the voters. Now, not everyone that voted for Donald Trump, whether they voted in 2016 or 2020, is someone that is a fascist or wants to destroy democracy. So I think it's important to say that out front. But it does matter how the party treats its voters. So Ziba believes that strong political parties that are able to kind of direct the passions of the voters are the ones that are, are doing well. They're, they're strong parties. A weak party is going to be one that is actually driven by the voters. A strong party, in some ways, what they have are firewalls. They can mobilize the voters to do things that can keep and, and support stability. But a party that is weak is basically, and this is what Zblot says, a holding company of different groups and interests. Um, where the leadership doesn't have a monopoly of financing and selection of candidates. So if you have that where they really don't have control, then you are very much open to radicalism. And as Ziblatt has his note, that when a conservative party succumbs to radicalism, when they, they have become a liberal, then the whole democratic experience, experiment is threatened. Leaving the, the party, leaving the GOP for greener pastures, I think will make someone feel better. The problem is, is that if no one is willing to confront the radical elements within that conservative party either, and in this case, I would say either to reform that conservative party or create a new party that is not as radical. If that doesn't happen, then all of democracy or the liberal democracy in that society is at stake. So basically what I'm trying to get at is that there are people, and I know a lot of people who think that we should just throw in all of our um, luck with the Democrats. And I think that the belief is that basically they will always win. That people are rational, people will pick the right choice, that there are enough voters that they will win. But having one healthy party and one that's not very healthy or isn't healthy at all, is not the sign of a healthy political system. In fact, that, that is a very sick political system. And that is where we are right now. But the problem is, of course, is that I don't think that very many people, as much as we talk about multi-party democracies, most of us really don't care if there are two parties. If there was just one party and, and we thought that it was always the one that's going to win, well, okay, we don't really need to have another party. I think, of course, that is a stupid choice, but that is the choice that people make. It is a choice because we all think, and, all, and that includes myself, 
that we're all rational beings. But the thing about parties when they become a liberal is that they stop becoming rational. And the other thing is, is that even those of us who support democracy aren't necessarily rational either. People can make bad choices. I always like to say that Hitler just didn't sweep, swoop in and take over Germany. He was elected. Sometimes the people don't always make the best choice. So what can be done? Now, I should note that even Ziblatt thinks that maybe right now the GOP has gone way too far to the right to ever be brought back towards the center. And I would tend to agree. I think that it might be better to, to build a new center-right party that can compete and take on the Republicans. But that doesn't mean that we should close off that route of trying to fight for change from within. But that means that there have to be people that are willing to do that, that are willing to kind of deal with all the crap that the current party is all about. Because if they don't do that, if they just kind of turn away and go for greener pastures, democracy is threatened because the liberal parties don't necessarily vanish. They can thrive and end up metastasizing and threatening all of democracy. Um, the commentator Yasha Monk, um, I think is spot on when he says that having a two-party system where there is one party that isn't backing the democratic process is dangerous. And this is what he has said. In a country with two major parties, democracy is safe only if both care more about preserving the political system than about beating their opponents. But one of America's big party parties is now willing to break the most basic rule of democracy, that free and fair elections should determine who gets to govern, and that those who lose must accept the legitimacy of their successor. The danger for American democracy is far from over. Until the Republican Party banishes Trump and drops his big lie, every presidential election will be a potential extinction-level event. And I think that he is correct. Obviously, people are still promoting what has been called the big lie. GOP legislatures, legislators in various states are working very hard to find ways of limiting the vote. They are working very hard to restrict voting, especially by certain racial and ethnic groups that they perceive favor Democrats. And so they want to place a thumb on the scale to ensure that they will win those races. This is a party, normal parties are interested in persuasion. And a liberal party is not interested in persuasion. They are trying to make sure that other people can't vote. 
So to simply walk away, to simply join the Democrats, is not going to be a happily ever after kind of affair. The thing is, is that even after all of the mess that President Trump did, his mishandling of COVID, how in all of the mess that the Republican congressional leadership, or congressional leadership did, the fact is they still didn't implode in 2020, even though everyone thought they would. The GOP is not going to wither and die. It will persist and it will continue to be a threat to the democratic order unless it's changed from within or it is replaced by a third party. Either option means that anti-Trump forces have to do two things. They have to first explain clearly what they are for and why they believe what they believe. And then second, to be willing to create a conservative domestic policy that will benefit average Americans. None of that can be done without some type of sacrifice. They're going to have to make some change. Um, Jerry Taylor and Sam Hammond of the Niskanen Center really believe that one of the ways that the Republicans could wrest control from Trump is if they are willing to move away from what they call zombie Reaganism. I believe that this is one of the reasons we ended up with Trump. Um, in 2016, all of his contenders, in many ways, even though I think they, they were sincere and trying to do different things, were really, in many ways, selling the same thing that Ronald Reagan sold in 1980, even though it wasn't 1980. It was 2016. As they say in their article, transcending Trump starts with the re a recognition that there is no going back to the stale, threadbare band of conservative ink that he warred against in 2016 to great effect. As I said, Trump was able to build up his MAGA movement because of the despair that the working class was feeling. And he knew that he had something to offer that the rest of the candidates didn't because they could not really deal, find an answer to the despair that people were feeling. Now, of course, he never fulfilled those promises, but he was able to tap into their pain. So the answer here is that they have to provide an agenda that provides, quote-unquote, bread to Donald Trump's circuses. And that would include coming up with new policies. Policies like the one that was proposed by um, Mitt Romney, the universal, the, uh, the child tax credit that I think, our child allowance, that is not only could help cut childhood poverty, but at least in the way that it was proposed, could be revenue neutral. There are other ideas that they bring, uh, Ter that uh, Taylor and Hammond bring up, like catastrophic health insurance, universal catastrophic health insurance, um, focusing on struggling parts of the United States, like my hometown of Flint, Michigan, federal revenue sharing, 
all of these are ideas that would actually benefit the lives of working women and men across the country. It would give the party a plan that could actually make things better. Now, would they work? Past experience says yes. The example that Taylor and Hammond bring up is the experience of the Conservative Party in Canada. Um, and being a Canada file myself, I can attest to this, that in the 1990s, um, the Canadian right was fractured. Um, you had for a long time the ruling uh, progressive conservatives, and in the 19, late 80s, that split between the progressive conservatives and the Reform Party. Um, the early 90s saw the, the catastrophic fall of um, the conservative, progressive conservatives, that they went from basically rule, a ruling party to two seats. And they were never able to really get back. I think they got back maybe to 20 seats in their parliament, but they never got back to a kind of a, a ruling majority. So in the early aughts, in 2003, there was a brand new conservative party that basically merged what was the old progressive conservatives with the reform party. And they brought the factions together and they brought it under this new party leader, Stephen Harper, who later then became prime minister. And he was able to put forth a bold domestic policy and that included Romney-style child allowances. And the interesting thing is, Canada is one of the few democracies that has not faced the rise of a far-right-wing movement. So, does this mean that maybe staying in the party is the way to go and working for change? Or do we leave the party to create a new party that would do the same thing? I think the answer is yes. What matters is how to keep the center right in America supporting for democracy. And if that means working from change from within or creating a body that will represent a healthy center right, so be it. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't work with President Biden in the short term. There is nothing wrong with that. That is part of democracy. But what we can't do is simply leave the GOP to its own devices, thinking that it will just that it will just fall apart, especially not in a two-party system, because you either need to create a new party to displace the GOP or you work from reform from the inside. If you don't do either of those, democracy is in trouble. Now, I am thankful that there are people who are working for change from within. And I've, I've talked about Adam Kingsinger's um, Country First PAC. Um, it's a long shot. And I'm not totally certain that it will do well. But I am thankful that he is trying. I'm also thankful for people like the Republican Accountability Project. Both of them are trying to do something where they can support politicians that are willing to, to um, challenge Trump and Trumpism. 
Now, I began this with um, this poem by Percy Shelley, Adonis. And the title of this episode is Who Mourns for the GOP? Which is also something that comes from this um, poem, Who Mourns for Adonis? Which, if you are someone like myself that loves science fiction, it is also the name of an episode of the original series of Star Trek. In his poem, he writes this poem in honor of his friend, a fellow poet, John Keats. Weep, for Adonis is dead, is what the writer says, imploring that it is a time to mourn the passing, the passing of something and someone that he cared for. And the interesting thing about mourning, to mourn something or someone, you have to love it. When I thought, talked about the fact that no one loves the GOP, I wasn't talking about actually loving the party as much as what it represents or what it could represent if it is true to itself. The loss of the GOP, if it becomes assumed into Trumpism, is a case for mourning democracy. Because no system can survive with just one party in favor of freedom. Shelley ends his poem with a note of hope. Because he realizes that even though Adonis is gone, his friend has passed on, and he mourns for that person that he truly loved, he knows that Adonis has gone on to the next life. As Shelley concludes, whilst burning through the inmost veil of heaven, the soul of Adonis, like a star, beacons from the abode where the eternal are. Maybe we can't love the GOP, but we can love democracy. And we have to hope that in order for our democratic order to survive, because it is not out of the woods, we have to mourn what has been lost and hope and fight for what can be regained. Who mourns for the GOP? I hope if we care about democracy in America, every one of us should. Before we end um, today's show, I wanted to also talk a little bit about um, one year of kind of the COVID pandemic. And I talked about this briefly in my last episode. One of the things that I thought was fascinating and I um, wanted to talk to this from the role of a pastor is that it has been challenging. And if you are someone that is um, a Christian, um, and even also if you're someone that is not, but um, whoever is your um, kind of religious leader, just to think of them. This last year has been a lot um, on people. I feel that I've been far more busy um, than I have ever before even though we haven't worshipped in person. 
And I have to believe that there are others that feel that same way too, that they're just tired. And it's also hard because you're trying to work to keep your church going. It can be difficult, especially for smaller churches. Um, because if, with a pastor, it always feels like everything is on you. So I just want to be mindful of people who, pastors who have worked hard over this last year, um, just to tell them that things are almost over. And um, at least from one pastor to another, thank you for your hard work, for your service. And um, together we will continue to finish up and finish strong. Well, thank you uh, for taking uh, for um, listening to this episode of Polite Company. Um, again, if you um, want to, uh, if you are interested, I would ask that you please leave a review or rate um, our podcast. That helps um, people see um, and know that we are out there. And feel please share this with someone that you know. Also, you can uh, go to our website at politecompanypod, all one word, dot org, um, and you can find past episodes and also um, ways that you can contact me. Well, thank you for, um, again, for spending time uh, to uh, chat with me as we talk about politics and religion. And I will see you again. Take care. Godspeed. Goodbye.